heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And welcome everybody to episode number 83, I got the number right, of YWC Football Talk. With me once again is still celebrating UMass's uh, hockey championship, even though it's a a football podcast, he's celebrating hockey still, damn it. Keegan Stifle of Pat's Pulpit, welcome to the show, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. We're, we're still riding the high of UMass's hockey victory. We, uh, a ton of guys are leaving, a ton of guys are going to the NHL, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll fix that and we'll, we'll be back at the top of the mountain next year, but I'm excited to talk some football. Exactly. Cause you know why they, there's this little thing called the draft, I think in a few days. So, and, and when it comes to college football, Keegan, Spags, and the whole Pat's Pulpit team have you covered. So Patriots fans, just go check them out. They like they got you covered head to toe. And if you want to dabble into some fun little mock draft simulators, Pro Football Network or even Pro Football Focuses. Yeah, we, um, we've been doing our own live mock drafts on, on Twitch and YouTube and all the whole shebang. Been doing those every week. Love mock drafts. I know some people are sick of them by now. I'm starting to get there myself, but we've uh, <laughs> we've got one more coming up this Wednesday, and then Thursday we've got a live show during the draft. So if you don't like watching it by yourself, if you want to feel like you've got some friends in the room, you can throw that on over at patspulpit.com. Little plug ski for myself, but uh, it should be fun. It's it's fun to just be able to listen to people spout off their takes in real time. Yeah, exactly. Because that's that's the one thing with the draft too, where you get that I feel instant reaction to like people being angry about a pick people being happy about a pick but then they take the time they look and do the research but then there's like the people like us who already know like hey what each player is capable of like I've said this many times before and you and I were talking about this off air that me having this football podcast and knowing people like you and knowing other people within the Twitter community let's say apart from the podcast community that's where you get to know not only more about these prospects but it gets you more excited for the draft because going in blind it's like okay cool we'll see what happens and but when you know the players like it gets excited because you're like it's kind of like watching your kids graduate if you're a teacher like you know yeah I mean like I look back at drafts I remember when Rob Gronkowski got drafted and I was like oh who's this weird guy freaking out on the stage if I would have watched him beforehand I was only 10 at the time but if I would have watched him beforehand I would have been thrilled I would have been so excited so now we've we've got all of our prospects that we love we've got the ones that we hate and when the Patriots inevitably draft Davis Mills in the second round, you can see me freak out live on TV. And then the next time you or live on whatever on the, the computer, next time you see me, I'll have talked myself into him being the next Tom Brady. So that's, that's the way it usually goes. I'll hate it at first and then I'll love it later on. You're exactly right. It's how it goes. Like look at, for example, two years ago with Daniel Jones and everyone thought Dwayne Haskins was this. And now Daniel Jones still, we don't know exactly about him, but just on a note of that, it's like, look, night of the draft there was those videos of Giants fans just losing it and then they were like man Dwayne Haskins is the guy and if you look at it Haskins is a backup in Pittsburgh and Jones is a star it's an okay starter but it's just one of those things with draft night where it's like you gotta cool off and wait to see how someone plays I feel before you realize oh hey if it was a good pick or a bad pick obviously there's reaches but I feel like there's a difference between reaching for someone and thinking they're bad in April as opposed to say September right 
Yeah, my favorite one's Kristaps Porzingis when he got drafted. The Knicks fans screaming at his TV saying, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and then he ended up being great. They had to trade yeah. him, but he ended up being great for them. So th- that's that's the kind of stuff that you'll see eventually on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Somebody's going to freak out, and then we got a Hall of Famer on our hands. So. Exactly. Um, like, I, I got it. Just started laughing because of that video where the guy is just going, who is this Tingus Pingus? Like, just like absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Like, in the most New York accent, just cursing and like F-bombs galore. But yeah, you're right. Like, look, we have all these guys now where we can go and look, oh, like, like let, let's go back to last year. If you had told me in April when we drafted Michael Owenu, this guy would be first team all rookie. I don't know if I would have agreed with you. Now, you fast forward and look, he's a core part of this offensive line and one of the best offensive linemen to come out last year where remocks of him from the sixth round were going in the first right yeah he he ended up being the best guard taken in the draft and he played most of the year at tackle so yeah, yeah you get that every year I mean a lot of people didn't like the Kyle Duggar pick last year and now as we're heading into to the 2021 season everybody's thrilled about having Kyle Duggar having that chess piece on defense Josh Uche, a lot of people were really high on him. A lot of people were low on him. And we've kind of found out that he's somewhere right in the middle. They, they don't really know where to put him yet. But once they figure it out, he'll be great. We get that all the time. And then you get the guys like the undrafted free agents, like Jacoby Myers, who you're like, oh, this kid played quarterback. He's, he might not be that good. Oh, he made the team. He had a couple catches. And then he comes, comes out and has 50 catches the next year. So you're going to get that every year. You won't know until later. But it, at least you can kind of start to form your opinions on these guys in real time on Thursday. It, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's, it's my favorite time of year as far as the NFL goes. I know everybody says week one is like Christmas morning. I feel like this is more Christmas morning than week one, just because it's like, look, obviously the, it's like, I'm going to go back to this whole thing. Why I have a podcast because or a football podcast, but it's just because when you have football, you can talk about it 12 months out of the year. Like when you look at other sports, like for example, baseball is in the middle of the season and then like NBA and NHL, it's like season's over, draft, and then in a normal non-COVID year, there's quiet for a couple months, and then everybody comes back. But with football, it's like, look, okay, season ends, boom, okay, chatter, whatever, potential free agents, combine, free agency, draft, schedule release, OTAs. The only little lull period really is, I'd say, like from the middle of May to like pretty much, I don't know, the end of July. Yeah, I mean – I don't think there is a little bit. <laughs> That's what I mean, though, like, if there is one. Yeah, if there is one, then it's it's just for a couple of months. But then if, if you're really plugged in, if you're crazy like me and you, you're, you've got OTAs and rookie mini camp and then mini camp, training camp, and you're paying attention to all that stuff, trying to see who's going to make the team, who's going to be in the final cut down, stuff like that. So the NFL, it's, it's really nonstop. It's a nonstop cycle. You, you, get, you get like a month after the Super Bowl where nothing happens. And then the combine comes. So it's not even a month. It's like three weeks. And then the combine comes. So, yeah, it's it's a nonstop cycle for sure. Exactly. And um, so while we're here, because obviously, look, we there's a there, there's a certain team. I don't know if there's a certain team we like. Is uh, I'm just trying to get clues for it. But um, Patriots have a very – they have obviously – I love how everybody with the Patriots goes. It's just like, oh, Bill Belichick, won't, he's never had to draft up to get a quarterback or he's never done it before. And I'm just like – the last time Bill Belt of the Patriots had the draft a quarterback in the first round, I, I, I was just, this is sound really weird, but my mom was pregnant with me when the last time the Patriots basically, well, let's put it this way. When they drafted Drew Bledsoe, I was yep. like, I don't, I was literally 
I was my mom was pregnant with me. I'm just I'm trying I was, to say that without being weird. Negative, I was negative six years old when they drafted last time they did a draft a quarterback. I, I yeah. wasn't born. By the time I was born, Drew Bledsoe had already signed a hundred million dollar contract to to re-sign with the Patriots. And then they drafted this skinny kid out of Michigan who ended up taking over. So that that's you're right. That's how long we've gone since the Patriots have needed a quarterback. And they've they've done their homework on guys and they've taken the air apparent to Brady about ten different times. They took Matt Castle to be the long term backup and then Brian Hoyer was the long-term backup, and then Ryan Mallett was supposed to take over, and he faded out. Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to take over. He faded out. Like, this is the this is for certain, this is the first time they've had to draft a quarterback in the first round in 27 years. That's unbelievable. 28, yeah, that's 2021. I forgot. Literally, if you look at a run of excellence, that, that's what it is. Like, now my question to you is, is where exactly do you think – because, look, for as much as I want to move up and get a quarterback in the first round, I don't want to do something where we're giving up a cuckoo amount to do it. I don't want to be given – like, obviously, if we, if we have to give up next year's one, it is it is what it is. It's just if we had to do anything like what the Niners did, I think it would be a little crazy. So, I think maybe Atlanta, we may be able to just because Fontenot is a new general manager in the league and you can maybe take advantage. But Cincinnati, I don't think we'll move. Miami, I can't see Chris Greer unless we give them a crazy package, and I don't really want to do that. So I think the first team that we could potentially do business with is Detroit or Carolina. Yeah, so um, I'm a hard believer in if you're going to draft a first-round quarterback, it's you're going to have to trade up to eight or seven, eight, or nine, uh, depending on how Denver feels. If I, would, if I were Denver, I'd take a quarterback, but who knows how they feel about Drew Locke. Um, but if you're going to take one, you're going to have to trade up to seven, eight, or nine. You're not going to get one of the top five at 15. All five of those guys are going in the, first, the top 10. Um, I'm a strong believer in that. And you really, there really isn't a point of taking a second or third round guy like a Kellen Mond or a Davis Mills or a Jamie Newman, just because you've got those guys on your roster. You've got Cam Newton, who's kind of playing like a second round quarterback right now, like you don't really know where his future is. And then you drafted a fourth round quarterback and, and Jarrett Stidham two years ago, and you've never given him a chance. So what's the point of drafting another one? Um, so yeah, if they're, if they're going to take a quarterback, it's going to be at seven, eight or nine, maybe even four, depending on the hall. But I don't think they're, they'd be willing to give up as much as they would need to, to trade up to that spot. Exactly. Cause even to Atlanta, like they're pretty much locked into Matt Ryan right now. Cause obviously I saw his, his dead cap hit. If they were to cut him next year, it'd be terrible. Or even this year. Like, I think it's like 20, 20 or 30 million, something insane. So this year it's 20 next year. It's like 33, something stupid. So for anybody thinking, Hey, yeah, they're drafting a quarterback. They're not going to have, whether it be fields, Lance or Jones sitting there for two years, because, Hey, look, there's 33 million in dead cap money. You're just, you're not doing that. If you're the Falcons, you're sending your franchise back. Part of me thinks that they could go pits or part of me thinks if they were to eventually, you know what, move back and acquire draft capital, it's not the worst thing for them because they're that weird team where I feel like they could either surprise people or they could completely suck again. It's just like where like a four and 13, let's say, because I've said this every single episode since the news was announced that I'm going to have to get used to saying it, but it's a good getting used to of the whole 17th game thing. That That's another topic, but it's Atlanta is re- I said this to you also Atlanta's really where the chaos begins. Atlanta's really where the phones start ringing, if you will. So we'll see what they do, but I, I just still think it's Atlanta and then it's either seven, eight or nine. Cause like you said, me, myself, I've made this public. I am not a Drew Locke believer. I think he sucks, but 
I, I don't really I still have this weird theory too that John Elway even though he's no longer in power I feel like John Elway purposely brought in mediocre quarterbacks so he was always known as like the greatest in Bronco history obviously they had Manning but when you think I think a lot of people think Broncos they think Elway so that, that's just me though but we'll see what happens it's really going to be that whole excited like it's going to be a bunch of nerves running through me Thursday night yeah I mean Patriots fans should hope that the Falcons stay put at four um because that, that pretty much pushes the quarterback carousel down like three or four spots to like, like we were talking about earlier, seven, eight or nine. And then, and then you get the choice of the fourth guy, whoever that may be. It could be Jones. Um, I doubt it. It could be Lance. It could be Fields. Um, but, you know, the situation I've talked myself into, I'm a big Justin Fields guy. I think he's the second best quarterback in the draft. who's going to fall for some idiotic reason. Um, if, if they want to get him, Atlanta needs to stay put. Cincinnati and Miami aren't going to take a quarterback. And then seven, it's, seven's either Carolina or Detroit. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Detroit, sorry to cut you off. Detroit's seven and then Carolina's eight. Right. So, but either way, they're the they're back-to-back. So you're going to need to trade up to one of those two spots to jump Denver or whatever other team that would maybe want to draft up to that spot. And then you can grab your guy. So, um I've talked myself into them trading with Detroit or Carolina, depending on, I don't think Detroit would take a quarterback because they're, they're in the same similar situation as Atlanta with the dead cap on, on Jared Goff. Um, Carolina could take one, but you just traded for a quarterback. So really, why would you? Cause that's going to sh- just completely take a dump all over having Sam Darnold on your roster. It would make no sense. So trade up to one of those two spots, grab your guy. I think fields will be there. Um, I don't think San Francisco is taking him. It's going to be either uh, Lance or Jones. So, We'll see, but that that's the scenario that Patriots fans should be hoping for, that, that Atlanta stays put and you can somehow jump up to seven or eight. The only reason I get the troop trade, I can't see the Patriots training with Atlanta just to look at The only other thing I would offer in there, if I'm Belichick, is saying, look, we have a rule where Patriots fans can only make 28 to three jokes on February 5th and March 28th. I would call Terry myself and tell him that, or even uh, what I call the Crypt Keeper owner, Arthur Blank. Just because he like he looks like that, just like his hollow face and everything, especially from the Super Bowl when he was on the sidelines. But tough look. with I can still see it being like because uh, Spags talked to me about this recently, where the not, not the I I think the Bears could trade up just because that's a Bears thing to do and like mortgage your future. But Washington's a secret team. That I feel like that would move up, but then the Patriots. I feel like with four, I know I'm going on a bit. I just can't see them wanting to give up a haul. I think Belichick wants to give up something that's going to be reasonable. And Belichick also, too. Here's the thing. We signed Cam because you have to have a quarterback. I think if we did not re-sign Cam and it was Stidham and Dolgetta, yeah, teams could potentially fleece us. But now that we have Cam, Bill can surprisingly just move – not surprisingly, but, like, move up where he he's not going to get fleeced. He's not going to get finessed. Because I look at 2018 – Buffalo going up to get Josh Allen. They only had to give up there. They swapped firsts with Tampa in two seconds. So that's just something to say where it's like, I know this is a great quarterback year, but it's also saying you don't have to give up a golden goose for magic beans. I just watched, I was watching draft day with Kevin Costner before I got on with you and I'm going to finish it after. And that's where I got that metaphor from. So shout out to his, I don't know the actress's name, but who his mom was in the movie said that when he made the deal with Seattle. Yeah, um, I, I lost my train of, train of thought. I, um, it's all good. Yeah, I, 
like we were saying earlier, I just I don't see them mortgaging their future just because they've got a good roster right now. So you mortgage your future, all the guys that you just signed a contract, by the time you're kind of back in it, if the quarterback situation doesn't pan out, all those guys are up and you're going to have to re-sign them and you're going to have to figure this whole thing out over again. So I don't see them making a huge move to trade up, but uh, I was going to mention Patrick Mahomes. They traded up five or six spots, I believe. That only took them swapping the first and two second round picks. Um, I think a reasonable a reasonable haul for Detroit to Carolina would probably be swapping first, a first, and a second. And and that's that's big. That's that's a lot to move up. But if you if you give up your first two picks next year, who cares? Because like you've seen already right now, they've got I believe they've got like 36 players signed on for 2023 which is un- an unbelievable amount. Like that just doesn't happen in the NFL. So you've got guys signed on for, so you don't really need those picks, um, especially if all these free agent signings worked out. Um, they've got 11 spots to fill. They've got 10 draft picks. They're not going to take all of their picks. So maybe they throw in, you know, thirds, fourth, fifth this year into whatever deal that they need to, to move up. Um, I, ex- I expect them to make a move on draft day. I would be surprised if they didn't, which is surprising to say, because that's not a Bill Belichick thing to do. No, but the dog does do it. So if Nike has any say, I, I would be, I don't think he'll be in the draft room on draft day. I assume he'll be in somewhere in Massachusetts with Linda, but I think that Nike's going to tell Bill before he leaves, or actually, even if he does, because I, part of me assumes that, look, that a lot of these guys live at the facility, especially this week of the year, where, okay. look, he obviously snuck off to Annapolis yesterday to get the key to, I think it was the key to the city or something like that. Yep. And um, I feel like it was honestly probably back to Foxborough as soon as I was over with. So absolutely, I'm surprised he even went. I, <laughs> I, uh, I know, I know little things I do know about the inner workings about stuff like this. Usually, you do all of your homework, and then closer to draft day, that's when they get their two, three days off. Just because as soon as draft week comes tomorrow morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's all the final preppings for the draft. You've got the draft, and then you've got to deal with signing all of these players, uh, priority free agents, all that stuff. So they've got about three weeks ahead of them where they're not going to be able to leave their offices. So I, I believe they do get a couple of days off. So he went and got the key to the city to Annapolis at an Army-Navy lacrosse game, which is the most Bill Belichick thing ever. Um, so they, they got their, their few days off, but tomorrow morning it's nose to the grindstone. They're they're, uh, they're going straight through for about two or three weeks. So which player from that lacrosse team is going to make a great slot receiver in three years for us and help us win another Super Bowl? I should have looked at the rosters beforehand. I, uh, I couldn't name a player if I wanted to, like Chad something. I would assume that there's a Chad on one of those two teams. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a, like a midfielder. I think that's a position in lacrosse that's going to be a great slot receiver, punt returner, like gunner on kickoffs uh, <laughs> in like two or three years when he – burns out of whatever lacrosse league he ends up going into exactly that's just it's just something i had to say because it's that's just such a belichick thing to do but oh yeah to, the one thing i'll say that kind of irks me is when i hear espn go like i was saying it before where they'll go yeah belichick's never had to move up it's just like well now he's going to so like, i feel like everyone's going to be shocked because it was like oh belichick's spending money and belichick's doing this the one thing i'm going to say about the belichick spending money thing that i firmly believe is he did it because the tv deals got like um because Kraft knew the TV deals were getting signed. So he basically, Kraft gave him the go-ahead. Because for everybody who's saying, like, and even I saw this too, where Aguilar's cap hit for if they were to trade him or cut him next year would be bad if he doesn't have the best year. I think the cap's going to start slowly start to uh, shift. So it will be, I think, normal. Not normal, but it's not going to be at 182 next year. 
No, it's it's going to jump up probably to right around where it was last year or maybe a little bit higher. And then 2023, that thing's going to skyrocket. That's that's when all the money starts to come in. 200. I fully expect it to be over 200 by 2023. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Robert Kraft is the TV deal guy. Like, he does all the negotiation. He's – without him, that probably wouldn't have happened as quick as it did. So, if anybody knew – that this thing was going to get done, it was Robert Kraft, and damn sure he told Bill Belichick, "Hey, listen, you've got a couple extra dollars in your pocket this year because the the cap's going to jump up a little bit." So, that yeah, he absolutely knew Belichick Be- because Robert Kraft was the I've seen this the Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob the showering gif of him where money's coming out of the shower. I'm like, that's just been Robert Kraft, so it's all good. I still think it's the same thing too with uh, Jerry Jones and the Dak Prescott thing. Like that's why Jones got him signed because he like, those two are in charge of the money. And for those yep. of you who don't know. Uh, Robert Kraft's very close with the executives at CBS Sports as well. So it's just a very friendly relationship. Something I learned from the book, which I did finish, and I will admit the ending got me emotional. Not afraid to admit that. <laughs> when the whole, I can talk about it with you because you've read it. Spags and uh-huh. the book. Uh, yep. The part where um, where Brady went over to Kraft's house and basically told him that he was leaving and everything. I was yeah. just like, man, that's just tugging at me. What what got me was, it was, it was right at the beginning of COVID. Yeah. So they they had to keep their masks on they had to stay their distance and they couldn't hug yeah which for if you know anything about robert Kraft and tom brady those two men have hugged more than like i've hugged my father probably they <laughs> those two guys love each other and they, they couldn't hug brady just had to get in this truck and drive off and that was the last time they saw each other in person that's rough that like that got me too i was like damn and yeah. i read it i read it last july so only like three months after he signed with the bucks before he had ever played a game so I was like, damn, <laughs> this is tough. Like, I, I hadn't seen him play for the Bucks yet. So, yeah, emotional ending to the book. Great book. I recommend it to anybody who hasn't read it. Um, it's phenomenal. It, it's really well done. It does a good job of taking stuff from other sources and kind of just putting it all in a neat pile. It, it's great. It's great reading. It made me more exposing to how bad the Boston media truly could be or how quick they are to turn on you. Yeah. They're – um they're rough and I, I won't just say boston because it like the new york media and national media is just as bad when it comes to successful teams they want to break those things up so i'm surprised that the new york media hasn't just driven the yankees into the ground yeah we'll start spreading the news new york um just okay, like it's a joke i love to make it yankees fans expenses yeah um the thing i was gonna say too though for as emotional as we're, i said like oh thursday's gonna be it's may 12th i'm still gonna be because it's looking at the schedule to see when he's coming back to foxborough because i'm uh, there's two i'm before we get into some other stuff the two things i'm not ready for for that week is the amount of will bill belichick and tom brady like acknowledge each other or handshake after the game and the whole like what's gonna happen like it's those two factors right there that are gonna irk me more than the actual game where it's just like the whole week Oh well, you know they had a bad falling out. Yada, 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 yada. I'm just like they had a good working relationship. Like obviously they didn't get a lot. They weren't like off field best friends, but I don't think a lot of people outside of Foxborough truly knew what Tom meant to not only the organization but the whole just New England area. Yeah, I, I think I talked about it last time with you. To think that those two guys, about. yeah, to think that those two guys don't love each other just for the fact that they've made each other a ton of money, like. Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick isn't Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. They've made each other millions of dollars. I'd love anybody if they made me as much money as they've made each other. So um, I think I think that they 
they really appreciated the time that they had together, but it's like being forced into a marriage and then staying with that person for 20 years. It's like, you wake up one day and you're like, I don't really want to be with this person. I kind of want to go do my own thing. So that's what Tom Brady ended up doing. He, he had the choice and he left. So, um, but you'll, you'll see that whenever he does come back before the game, they'll be chumming it up and then the cameras won't show it. And then they're going to hope that one team blows the other team out and then somebody runs off the field without saying hi to the other person. But I guarantee you before the game, they'll be hugging at the, the 50 and talking and all that garbage. I also fully expect whenever they show a tribute video that there's not going to be a dry eye in the house at Gillette Stadium. Whether I, I'm going to say this right now, I would love to be there. Obviously, the, cold, the situation with COVID up here right now isn't the best. So who knows when the borders will reopen. But if right. they open in time, I'm going to try my best to be at that game whenever it is. If it's in the middle of December and like in below 30, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I have money saved up. I am ready the second those tickets go on sale to try to buy them. And I, they're going to, those tickets are going to sell out in 10 minutes, probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's not going to be a single, especially if the, the, I expect the the stadiums to be at full capacity, but if they're not, those things are going to go in two seconds. Um, that's the hottest ticket in the world right now. Yeah. Also, I think it's going to be the highest viewed game of the year because no matter if you're a Patriots fan or if you hate the team, you're going to watch. Like, you're just going to yeah. watch to see Tom come back. Uh, but we'll figure that out May 12th, 8 o'clock, even though we'll pro- I'll probably be me on Twitter the entire day, just literally in my search NFL schedule release, and you'll see, like, like random people being like, oh, hey, this game's on this day. And then it's like, no, you're this is fake. This is BS. Because, like, I know people try to do that to really trick people and whatnot. Yeah. 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 But – um. Sure. One thing I just want to move on to with the Pats in the draft is other positions besides quarterback. What would you say the top position they should look at for the like the draft as a whole, not just the first round, but like say 46, 96, like 120, et cetera? Yeah, I think the perfect situation, let's say they do get a quarterback in the first round and they don't have to trade anything else for the rest of the draft. That's like impossible to think. But say that's yeah. a scenario. Second round, I think that they go corner or linebacker just because they need depth at both of those spots. Um, Gilmore's not playing on the contract that he's on right now. You don't really have anybody behind Dante Hightower at linebacker. So pick one of those two guys. And then as you get later into the draft, I think that's where you start taking shots at wide receiver. Um, I would take two shots, no matter what draft two of them, get them in the building. Um, One of the things that I've found as doing my research and, and watching these guys, the Patriots have an opportunity to get depth at all three wide receiver spots, which they haven't had the opportunity to do that forever. Um, they've got Aguilar who plays X. They've got Nikhil Harry who plays that same spot. Jacoby Myers plays in the slot and Kendrick Bourne's probably going to play like a Z slot um, hybrid, let's say. So if you can draft the slot receiver, if you could draft, draft the Z receiver, which is kind of a more free moving guy um, who can run like intermediate, deep, short, can do everything that that's what Z receivers do. They do everything. If you can draft both of those guys, you have an opportunity to build depth, which they haven't had in forever. So um, late in the draft, I think you take a couple shots at wide receiver and then second round corner or linebacker third round, you take whatever you don't get in the second. Two guys that I ideally would like to be there one for 46. I kind of doubt it, but he could be as Asante Samuel jr. Obviously his father played for the Patriots. I think it would be a good fit. But the other one I look at, too, for linebacker is uh, Jameen Davis out of Kentucky, someone who I think can come in fast and really put a beating on someone. Because with someone like that, I feel like he can come in but not have pressure to come in and start right away like we saw Uche do last year. I think he can work and develop behind that because, like, obviously we're going to have 
the main linebacking core be like Uche, Van Noy, Hightower, et cetera. So if you could get like a Jameen Davis to go in there and be your fourth linebacker, I think it's a perfect scenario. Yeah. And you've got, you've got Raekwon McMillan and Anthony Jennings. McMillan plays more of a middle, like off ball role. Jennings plays, should be playing on the ball. That's what he did at Alabama. That's why he was so successful. Um, But Jameen Davis is, he's been my crush at linebacker since day one. Um, I'll, I'll say it now. I, I said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago on mine um, that I invented Jameen Davis just because I, I saw, I watched Kentucky play Georgia um, during the season. And I was like, damn, this guy's really good. And I tweeted a video out about him. I'll find it while you're talking next and, and let you know, but I've been in love with this guy since the season. Um, I think he's perfect. He is very similar to Patrick queen, who was a first round linebacker last year who struggled with Baltimore because he had to start right away. He was their number one guy. Jameen Davis doesn't have to do that in New England. Um, imagine if anybody knows anything about Patrick Queen, imagine putting him behind Dante Hightower and hot damn, that's that's a good linebacking core. So I've loved Jameen Davis for a long time. And at corner, I really like Greg Newsom. He's a he's like a longer guy. I think he's a little bit better than Asante Samuel Jr. Um, out of Northwestern. He's like a top of the second round guy. So he might be a choice. And then there's another one. Let me find him real quick. Um, Eric Stokes out of Georgia. He's super long, athletic, versatile, and strong. Like that guy will fight you at the line of scrimmage. So I like both of those guys in the second round if they do end up going corner. Exactly. Um, one, I look at the receivers because I feel like this year with the receiving class, there's a lot of people who, you know, like will try to reach for players because like how we saw last, let's just say last year, how, there's a lot of guys I don't think a lot of people have heard of that are going to go later on, like for later in the first round, kind of like a Terrace Marshall or Darius Tony. But even too, this is a very good wide receiver class. And I feel like that's the main reason why no one really spent on the position this year in free agency, because they saw, and it's like, well, okay, we can recycle with this. And even too, with the depth position for wide receiver, you bring up a good point. Cause I look at what Tampa did last year with Tyler Johnson, who was a fifth round pick went two picks after we drafted the damn kicker from SM was I don't I don't even want to know if it was SMU or Marshall but um he's cut Marshall. that's all that meant. yeah Marshall Marshall kicker um but yeah so if we can get someone like that in the fifth round like say like an Amari Rogers or even a um what's the guy's name I'm trying to think of I don't think he'll be there but Eskridge from Western Michigan right Some, or even uh Shy Smith's another good name I look at for receiver it's just a very good a chance for them to add additions to uh, most positions. The only positions I think we're mainly solid on is tight end, obviously, because we spent the money running back right. and maybe defensive edge. Besides that, I think we could add wherever, like even if they added a safety somewhere in this draft, I wouldn't be mad because with Patrick Chung's retirement and then you can get someone in there behind, because I assume it'll be Mills and Duggar starting. Cause obviously I don't think McCordy will be back next year. That's no uh, Jason. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, unless it's Jason's a corner, I'm getting my – I cannot tell them apart. I can't tell Jason's them apart. My bad. <laughs> Jason's the but, one that hasn't come back yet. Yes. Okay. Last I heard it was the Giants have apparently been, like, interested in him, but I don't think there's anything there. I can see the Patriots bringing him back in, like, late June or something like that where they just sign him to a cheap deal. Like, because yeah. I said this before, De- De- Devin is a guy who I think he's a Patriot lifer. Like, we've seen Matt Slater. Who, For sure. I know the Edelman retirement debate like sparked and then uh, quickly was uh, extinguished. I'm, I've said this on Twitter multiple times and I'll say this to you. I'm ready to die on the hill of Matthew Stafford, uh, not Stafford, Matthew Slater belonging in Canton, Ohio when he retires. I am dying on that damn hill. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's the best player to ever play his position. You should be at Canton. They put Ray Guy in the Hall of Fame. He was a hall, he was a punter, best punter of all time. Throw him in. If you're gonna do that with him, you've got to do it with Matthew Slater, who's absolutely the best special team of all time. So I agree with you there. Um yeah. on the wide receiver situation, just on taking one late. I think Amar Rogers is gonna go in the second round. I think someone's gonna reach on him, but there's so much quality in the back half. Cade Johnson out of San Diego State, who is always open, like they called Chris Hogan 7-Eleven. Kay Johnson is 7-11. Diami Brown, who's a guy who can play vertical. He's kind of similar to Nelson Aguilar. Jalen Darden, who's uh, the human joystick. Marquez Stevenson, who's just a sprinter that you just sprint, like whip the ball to as far as you can. And then Wap Fillier, who's a slot receiver out of Indiana. He plays like a running back. He's very similar to Amari Rogers, just doesn't have the hype because he didn't go to as big of a school and his physical traits aren't there, but they play very similarly. So those are the guys that I think they're going to take one of those four or five guys. Do you know why? Uh, I know his first name's not Wap, but do you know why his name is what it is? Yeah. I actually talked about this last week on our podcast. He where was, I heard it from. Yeah. He loves Whoppers. Um, his, when he used to drive home, or when his mom used to pick him up from daycare in elementary school, driving him home, they'd pass a, a Burger King and he'd throw a fit if she wouldn't go buy him a Whopper. So he, she said that he ate a Whopper every day for two years. Um, loves Whoppers to this day. So that's why he's Whop. Even another name I look at too is Amon Ross St. Brown. Just I, I feel like he's going to be another guy that people reach on in the second round that probably should go fourth or fifth. But I think there's just people or I think a wide receiver hungry I want to use another word with an H, but I'm not going to. I'm going to try to be as professional as I can. But I, I was trying to remember if it was – I'm not sure if you know two-for-one drafts from PFF, that podcast. Do not. Oh, because um, that's where I listen to that. It's just a thing that Pat got me introduced to. I thought it was there that said the WAP story. I didn't – I totally blanked on and that it was you, and I wanted to apologize because I just find that so interesting that, hey, his name's not WAP. It's like it's something else. But the fact of why his nickname is that, it's kind of like – Booker McFarland, like his name's Andrew. It's just really funny when you see like this guy's like it's not really his first name, and you're just like, wait, what? But yeah. like Darden just real is, quick, Wap Killier's real name is better than Wap. His name is Mr. Elias. <laughs> that, that sounds like a wrestler. Yeah, that's sick. And and Wap is just a great nickname. I draft him just off name value alone. Like he's gonna be great. I mean, is, I don't know if the Patriots have a fast food sponsor or not. You're obviously a mass. You would know more than I do. But if there's a thing where, hey, if WAP catches a touchdown, everyone gets a free Whopper in the next 24 hours in the mass area, I think that's a good deal. It doesn't matter where he plays. He's going to have a, a, a Burger King sponsor, like, the second he hits the NFL. If, if he ends up being good, he's going to make a billion dollars with, with Burger King. He's perfect. Perfect poster boy. He'll be like uh, Gronkowski, how Gronk basically doesn't spend any of his contract money, and all his money that he spends is what he's made from, like, Monster and, like, all these other endorsements and stuff. Wap Fillier is going to replace the king from Burger King. Oh, 100%. You're going to see him with a king crown on his head at some point during his rookie season. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. the other one I wanted to mention that I liked that you mentioned was uh, Jalen Darden out of North Texas. Like, I heard his interview, like, with Two for One. He just seems like a good guy. Um, Like, he's a human joystick. He's just someone you can get out there and, like, it's like when you take your dog to the park, you just like clip that leash and just let them go berserk. Like, I feel like that's just his kind of style of play. Yeah. He's, he's very bouncy. He bounces around everywhere. He, um, he's, he's like really good in the short game. 
Um, I, when I wrote my article about him for Pat's pulpit, I compared him to a tiny version, like a pocket sized version of Cordero Patterson. I think he does all the same things, but he's just not a hoss like Patterson is. Um, so he's a great value pick later on because Josh McDaniel's offenses have been best when they have a, a guy who can kind of do a little bit of everything when they have a gadget guy, let's say. So giving Josh McDaniel somebody to play, play around with a little bit, you know, throw him in a bunch of different spots, give him the ball in a, in a ton of different ways. I think it's perfect. And Jalen Darden's the guy that I think fits that role best um, value wise for the, for the Patriots. Exactly. I feel like they could get him at one. I think they have 120. Do they have 120 and 122? I'm just trying to remember that. Yes. Yeah. So they could get him right there in the fourth round. And I'd be happy with that. Like you don't need to go spend 46 or 96, which by the way, I'm still a firm believer. They're going to try to sneak in at the seventies again. I think they're going to try to maybe trade some future draft capital to get back in there and sneak someone in the, I think that's the third round by then. Yeah, it is. They, yeah, they're going to fill that role. It's end of the second, early third. Um, you, you kind of need to fill that spot. And with the amount of picks that they've got later on, they've got three-fourths, uh, a fifth, and two-sixths. They might be two-fifths. doesn't matter. They can move up. And they um, – I, I don't know if it was already on air or when we were talking beforehand. They've got 10 draft picks. They only have 11 spots on the roster. They're not going to make all 10 picks. They're not going to make 10 picks in this draft. Yeah, I can see them maybe decreasing that to, like, let's say seven or eight. Yeah, and I think even more, if especially if they do trade up for a quarterback, you can you can throw a ton of those late round picks just to try to sweeten the pot, sweeten the deal a little bit for whoever you're trading with, um, just because you can't afford to make those picks. Exactly, or even to uh, maybe try like you know how I said to you earlier, try to trade with Atlanta just for the points of you want to like not fleece, but try to you know what take advantage of a new GM, get the best maybe value say- possible. Yeah, like maybe say, hey, can we get your third? Like get a pick that's even in the 80s, like something like that. Because yep. even it just reminded me too, that Buffalo-Tampa uh, trade, which involved Josh Allen, I believe the Bills also got a seventh for that as well. So it's just something along those lines. Like even if they can take the sixth or seventh when they do that and then they use it later to flip. Because I feel like while there's the infamous, I've seen it before on Twitter, Bill Belichick, the Denzel Washington going, this ain't um, this isn't checkers. We're playing chess. I feel like that's how Belichick looks at every draft. Like he's always one step ahead of everyone else. Like he's always looking to, okay, cool. We're going to do this here, but what are we going to do down the road? Yeah. I, one of the things that he's done a ton in the past that I think he's going to do a lot of this year is when he's sitting there on day three and he doesn't have a guy that he's in love with, he'll say, Hey, you're looking to trade up. Give me your, or um, I'll give you my pick. I don't want anything this year. Give me, this equivalent next year so say they're trading a fifth round pick uh at whatever spot their their fifth round pick is 177 they're sitting there 177 somebody wants to move up say give me your fifth round pick next year it might end up being better than 177 it might not but you're not having to make a pick of a guy that you're not really interested in having on your team and i'll i'll say it a million times they they cannot make all 10 picks so they need to get rid of some of them and that's a good way of doing it and you move it to next year and then you can kind of deal with it then it's a later a later hill belichick problem so make it a nick casario problem essentially is what you're saying yeah Um, make it somebody else's problem i only say that because obviously i like the deal that we did with houston that got marcus cannon because look we got to move around some draft picks and now we have 120 and 122 back to back um, even next year too, I believe we have two seventh round picks because we got one of the ones for Trent Brown, which I still say I that's just a steal of a deal that we got. 
Yeah, it was a great deal. Yeah. And one other thing I'm going to say to you about the Patriots is when I look at it, I don't know, because I know you told me before, you're not bit, you don't have, you're not big on Instagram. You don't have it, but there was photos that surfaced of like Kendrick Bourne, Johnny Smith, Cam Newton, Trent Brown, and Jacoby Myers in a bar. Some, I don't know where I literally retweeted saying, Oh, it's in New York. That stuff like that and stuff like Pat's West, I think is very underrated to how far that can go to bonding chemistry on the field. Yeah, for sure. I, I like I have Instagram and the only reason I have it is to really like catch up on that kind of stuff just to see what's going on with players and stuff like that. Um, that's where I found a lot of the Pat's West stuff and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's huge. You you see like captaincies, guys getting voted in to become a captain, Cam Newton doing it in the first year, even without going out and being able to hang out with his teammates before the season because COVID and there were the restrictions were a little bit tighter having that a guy that can already just step in and be like, I'm a captain of this football team, having him around all the new guys is great. That's, that's exactly what you want because you're going to get those guys. Trent Brown's already bought into the culture. He loves the Patriots culture. He, he said it a million times, having everybody else be able to do it. John Smith, Kendrick Bourne. That's great for the team. That's perfect for by the time they get to training camp, everybody's on the same page. You're not having to spend a, a week, two weeks getting everybody there. I, I still feel like Kendrick Bourne is going to end up being a fan favorite no matter how good he is on the field just because he's very personable. He's very active on social media, which I know a lot of people took what Juju did last year with all the TikTok and stuff like that and did it. But I've been in a couple of his live streams and he'll just bring random people in to talk with him and stuff like that too. So he's one of those guys that I feel like not only will buy an on-field, buy an off-field and also to with the volunteer stuff that the Patriots do, something that goes very, very, not unnoticed, but like, it's something that a lot of players have to buy into because that was a philosophy that uh, Myra crafted until she passed away, unfortunately, 10, I believe 10 years ago. It's almost 10 years that she did. Yeah, just about. Yeah, so just it's just stuff like that that just look like for as much as it is about football, it's also about community. And that's that's why I think still will always say I think Robert Kraft's one of the best owners in the league. Yeah, that is big. And he's got his own foundation, I believe, like that. Yeah. So he's you, – you don't have to worry about, like, that stuff. Um, and how active he is on social media. People love that, especially around here, because they don't get it a ton. Like, you didn't get it with Brady because he's an old man. You didn't get it until, like, later in his career, and then he was on his way out. Um, that stuff in New England goes so much farther than it does other places because you don't get it. So being able to see, be like, oh, these guys are real people, and they like similar stuff as me. Matthew Judon is huge on Twitch, like, loves playing games against fans and stuff like that. Like, that stuff's going to go a long way. Um, in terms of the fans, I think this team's going to be a hell of a lot more likable than than last year's team was because watching that team was miserable. Exactly. I tried to be as positive as I can, but the down low, I'm kind of like, you're just like, I'm, I was fighting the negatives back. So I was trying to be like, oh, hey, we have a chance to do this. And then the fuckers get eliminated on my birthday. So yeah, my, the Miami week 15 game is my birthday. So like, I'm like, yeah, when Cam like threw a thing in the fourth down and like lost us the game, I'm like, Oh, happy birthday to me. Thanks, New England, for the crappy gift. Um, do we think that offensive line should be, like, uh, something they should get, maybe, like, take a flyer on later on? Or do you think it's fine for the most part? Maybe bring in someone who's unsigned, uh, undrafted, excuse me. They're they're going to add one. Like, I'm, I believe in that strongly. Um, if they don't end up getting a quarterback, I think that's a spot they can go in the second round because it's a really solid tackle draft. And they don't have anybody signed on for next year other than Justin Heron. Um, and I don't consider Ma- Michael Onwenu a tackle. He played well there, but that's not something that can 
I don't think can continue long-term. He's a guard and that's where he plays his best football. So um, when they're, they haven't picked up his option, they're going to wait till after the draft. Cause if they don't end up getting one, you kind of don't have a choice. You have to pick it up. Um, and then Trent Brown's a free agent at the end of the year. I believe he'll want to resign, but whether or not that they'll be willing to dish out however much money he's worth, um, you, you don't know yet. So I think that's a wait and see type thing. If they can get one for good value, then they'll take him. Um, but the, the backup plan is, oh, you can't get one, pick up one's option and try to sign Trent Brown to a, an extension because you've got a little bit of leverage. He left, didn't play well, had to come back. If Alex Leather was sitting there at 46, would you take a chance on it or do you think they should wait till later on? Um, I'm not a huge fan of Leatherwood, like exactly. Um, like a Liam Eikenberg might fall that that far. I don't know if he will. Um, I would take Liam Eikenberg there. I would I would take a tactical, probably not specifically um, Alex Leatherwood though. I understand. It's just something I wanted to ask. Eikenberg, someone obviously we talked about off air that I forgot about because the way I look at the offensive line right now, you probably have and uh, probably you're going to have Andrews at center, and then oh, kick a uh, kick uh, a one in a guard. Uh, the, I'm just trying to think about the other who would be the other guard. Probably Shaq uh, Mason. Yeah, Shaq Mason. And then you have for right now Win on one side and then Trent Brown on the other. But I even think too that you could probably if say God for like we you never hope for injuries, but it's something that's bound to happen. I feel like we also have a good security blanket knowing that someone goes down. I feel like. Ted Karras could come in and fill in a role at more or less. I think he's more of a guard than a, I know he's a center, but I feel like I know, I think his other position, he can play as guard. He can play yeah. guard as well. I'm trying to say he's an, he's an interior guy. Yep. Yeah. That's just thing I wanted to ask. And then, like I said, to the other position, I don't look at it at all is running back just because it's not the strongest draft for running backs, but also to, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm confident with Harris as our RB one. He's to me like a little version, like a, like a pocket version almost of Mark Ingram in a way where right. you kind of yeah. like let like not Ravens Mark Ingram, but like what we saw from him in new Orleans, like that style. And then, yeah. Um, I, go go on, go on. I was just gonna say, I can see them taking one just because Sony Michelle is not coming back next year. I don't think they're not picking up that option. Um, and somebody else might give him some money to see if he's got anything left. Um, Brandon Bolden's a free agent. James White's a free agent. J.J. Taylor's not a, an early down bat. Like, he can't yeah. fill a role really for you yet. Um, maybe the third down role. But you need somebody to back up Damian Harris. Um, so they could draft one. I think that that's like a 50-50 thing. They could draft one like a Trey Sermon in the fourth, fifth round. Um, but also they could just wait and then see what they can get in free agency next year. Maybe even re-sign Rex Burkhead um, like on a two-year deal. But signing a, a 30 – three-year-old running back coming off an ACL is probably not the smartest decision. So I could see them drafting one. I could also see them waiting and just signing whoever's available in free agency next year. Yeah. That's the other thing I was going to say too. Cause like, I feel like it's good, but I think if they took, a, I think more or less with running back, it's you're taking a chance on someone because even with running backs this year, I can see maybe one goes maybe two, if they reach, because besides that, I still think they're early day two guys. Cause they'll, they'll be there. Like, but yeah. the only one I could see pretty much, I think would be, I wouldn't be shocked as if, say, Pittsburgh took Harris at 24. Yeah, like, and and Jacksonville, since they have two first-round picks in an early, like, the first pick of the second round, they could take ETN or Harris. Um, But, yeah, I don't think a ton are going early. I would say the only position you can take off the table for the Patriots drafting is punter. They can draft any other position. Maybe tight end. I'd probably say tight end as well. But punter and tight end, every other position is on the table. What, you mean – 
Kyle Pitts will not be available at 15. Is that what I'm trying to – is that the vibe I'm getting from you right now? Listen, if Kyle Pitts is there at 15, I would I would take him. But he's not going to be there, so. It's just a joke. Obviously, that was a joke because yeah, yeah, uh, sure. the, the way I see the tight ends lining up this year is obviously Smith and Henry are your one-two, uh, one, and then Asiasi can come in and kind of be the blocking slash catch a few passes. But I still feel like Dalton Keene's that million-dollar question of will he be a tight end or do you think they try to convert him into a fullback? If they want him to be successful, if they want to have that pick be worthy of what it was, a third-round pick, they need to move him to, to super back is what I like to call it because it's not it's not just fullback. He's not running out there and throwing his head at people trying to block. He can play out of the backfield. Um, very similar to what Kyle Juszczyk does for the 49ers. I think he can play a similar role, not as good as him, but play that role. Um, and they've got Dan Vitale on the roster who – opted out because of COVID, but you also have Jakob Johnson. There's no room for another one unless they're getting rid of everybody and starting over. Um, I'll have Ben Mason, but I think, I think you need to move him to that role. Um, play like an H back super back role where he can play mostly almost exclusively out of the backfield. And I mean, I tweeted it out during training camp last year, watching the live streams that the Patriots do, he was working with the running backs. He wasn't running routes with the tight ends. So they obviously had an idea of having him do that. And then as early in the season, Ryan Izzo got hurt. And then every time Hammer Asiasi would come in, they'd get hurt and miss a couple of games. So they had no depth at tight end. They had to go and pick up Jordan Thomas in the middle of the year. That's why he was at tight end. I would not be surprised at all if he's working with fullbacks and running backs exclusively during training camp. I was going to say, you stole the words out of my mouth with the use check comparable. Like, obviously, he's not going to be like the exact same style of fullback because obviously, use check is a very talented fullback, but he's not a James Devlin where he's just going to come in and just like truck somebody. But like, he yeah. could, but I'm not like, I'm not expecting that out of him. Like, if they were to convert him, you know what? You use him in the backfield, whether it be in blocking or even two in those third down situations where you just need some need to get, like, say, for example, third and fourth where you don't want to run the ball. Like that's yep. where I was trying to get at. Also, I exactly. keep I keep blanking on Rex Burkhead for some reason if he's a free agent, if he's still signed or not. That's like free agent. Yeah. So I feel like him and Jay Jason McCourty are kind of in that same boat where they would come back. And right. just going into for next year, I do see McCourty signing like on a hometown discount just because, like I said, Patriot for life. Like I still feel like him, Hightower, Slater, Andrews, those are the current guys that are on that roster. Kind of like how the Edelman thing, like how at first it was, oh, hey, yeah, he's going to Tampa. And then it was just like, as soon as I saw the, the Mike Reese tweet, I was just like, yeah, I'm not, he's retiring. Like Mike, Mike is the guy when it comes to Patriots supporters that like, as soon as that dropped, I'm just like, yeah, there's no, yeah. no, he's done. Mike Reese doesn't like just throw things out there. He, he knows what he's doing when he tweets stuff out. So, but yeah, with, with the, with the um, Dalton Keene thing, that that's where he'll be most successful and having him like you said a third and fourth four when they want to throw the ball you're giving different looks and you're keeping the defense on their toes maybe getting uh better personnel in for for the offense having keen as an option like they could carry keen and johnson as fullbacks i wouldn't be surprised if they carried both at all yeah exactly and um the only other position i was going to say too is just with the cornerback obviously because Gilmore, like you said, he's not going to play under his current contract. Maybe he's a kind of a guy you kind of throw into the mix to say, if you want to move up with Atlanta, where it's just like, Hey, you offer him up to get to four. Like, so I feel like you could do that. Cause it's like, Hey, here's an 
all pro caliber cornerback that you can trade that you can acquire because obviously the Atlanta defense yeah. is a little eh, not the best, but you trade him and then it's kind of too out of conference. Cause I, I highly doubt they'd want to give him up to somebody in the conference. And then JC Jackson will wait and see, but I feel like next year, it's kind of like one of those things. If you have to pay one or the other, I feel like they'd rather give the money to Jackson just because of age. Yeah. Give us a younger guy who's not coming off an injury. Who's forced turnovers. He didn't look great as the number one guy last year. Like I, I won't sit here and act like he did, but he's more than serviceable. And what they did when they didn't have Stefan Gilmore was their number one corner would go with somebody and need to have help over the top. And then, or their number two would go with somebody and have help over the top. And then they would mix in kind of the slot and number one guy uh, um, around, play them in more like zone looks and stuff like that. So I think they could do that. Um, and if, if you're trading Gilmore, you can keep your second round pick. That's pretty much what he would be. Like that's what his value is as a second round pick right now. So if you're trading up instead of giving them 46, whoever you're trading with say, we'll give you Gilmore instead. You guys need a corner. Detroit, Carolina, and Atlanta could all use a corner. So he's a great kind of person to throw into sweet in the pot a little bit. Exactly. So where it's like, Hey, instead of, if it was say, for example, 15, a 2022nd first and Stefan Gilmore for say four, seven, seven or eight, I wouldn't be mad. I only think Denver wouldn't take that deal just because obviously I think their defense is going to be good next year. And they just added, I believe, I think it was Kyle. Yeah, they added Kyle Fuller, and I thought it was Kendall for a second, but no. They added Kyle Fuller, and then obviously they extended Justin Simmons, so they're good in the backfield. I'm just blanking on who else they have, but like for secondary for Denver, but we're not Bronco fans. Um, But no, like you're right. Those are three teams. Look, hey, here's here's a great defender. You need defense. We need a quarterback. So it's kind of like a if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But no. But besides that, like it's just. It's such an interesting year because, man, the AFC East, all I ask for is parity this year. And I feel like we're going to get that with three of the four teams. I I know I'm sounding bad, but I'm just – I think the Jets are going to have one of those years where, like, Arizona had two years ago where, look, there's moments where it's like, hey, the future's bright, but there's going to be some growing pains with the, with the Jets. Yeah, I think the AFC East is in great shape, like, long-term. I mean, the Patriots are always going to be competitive as long as they have Bill Belichick as their coach. Miami is set up if they don't win a Super Bowl and then with Brian Flores, I'll be shocked. I really think he's that good and they are set up that well, you know, in the future. Buffalo came pretty damn close to making it to the Super Bowl last year. I doubt they would have beat the Bucks, but they were two plays away, really. Um, yeah. And then New York is just so it's so hard because they they brought in a whole brand new regime. And you want to kind of be like, oh, maybe they can figure it out. But also, they've never figured it out. So I, I will give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I really like Robert Sala, who's the new head coach. I just, if I were them, I would take Justin Fields at two. But they're going to take Zach Wilson and Jets do Jets things, I guess. If Zach Wilson, like say if Zach Wilson's like, okay, but then Justin Fields were to come in for Cam and say, I'm just giving a scenario up there, like, knock on wood. Cam, Cam gets hurt. I'm not wishing injury anybody. I'm just, I, I, this is what we have to do as podcasters. You have to give out scenarios and a scenario could, and it's also football's a violent game too. Injuries happen. So say if like, let's say if a needle causes a punctured rib or a punctured lung, let's say, let's say that's, that's happened before in the NFL and then fields comes in and razzles and dazzles. It's going to make the jets look bad where um, Christopher Johnson can go to Douglas and be like, Hey, why don't we take fields? Like, why'd you take this Wilson kid? Cause 
my big concern for Wilson is that he didn't play anyone. Like with Joe Burrow last year, he played Alabama and beat them. He whooped Oklahoma. He whooped Clemson. Like, and then with Zach Wilson, he wanted to play Washington and they didn't, they wouldn't let them. And he played Coastal and he didn't look that good. Like, I love how everybody feels too. Where it's like, oh yeah, he didn't look good against Alabama, Northwest, Northwestern and Indiana. And I'm like, Big Ten schools are different than what you face when you're in the Mountain West. Like Coastal it's just, Carolina. <laughs> yeah. I, no offense to Coastal Carolina, but that's just how it is. They had a great year, but like they were projected to be the worst team in their in the Sun Belt last year. And they just ended up being kind of good. And Zach Wilson looked go like garbage against them. Zach Wilson's a very easy quarterback to game plan against. I don't think people are like like no one's thinking about that in terms of what NFL defenses are going to do against this kid. He's going to come in and he's going to be the starter right away. He's probably going to play the Patriots within the first three weeks of the season, and he's going to look like garbage. That's just that's what's going to happen because we've all heard the story before. Bill Belichick knows how to game plan against rookie quarterbacks. He, he's lost to them once. I think he got his, he had his first loss this year or last year. Yeah, to Tua Two, was his yeah. first loss. So he knows how to game plan against these guys. Zach Wilson, if you keep him contained, if you keep him in the pocket and you send pressure up the middle, similar to Brady, but – He's more athletic, obviously, but if you send pressure up the middle, he's toast. He's not like he he can't make plays happen inside the pocket. He doesn't have great pocket presence. He's got a phenomenal arm, but when you're chucking the ball 50 yards down the field and Devin McCourty's coming across playing center fielder like that, it's not Coastal Carolina anymore. So um, no, I think it'll be a huge mistake if they draft him, but they will. So all the power to him. It's just one of those things where, and even too with the throw, I remember his pro day it was Daniel Jeremiah. They're just saying, yeah, like you don't got to do it anymore. And I'm like, I, I love D, I, I love DJ as an analyst. I like, I, I, I follow his draft analysis closely. Like, but I love it how it's just like these guys. I'm gonna use the word these guys get QB horny. Like we see John Gruden do it too, where it's just like the hot. It's or not even that, but it's kind of like how you know how you know with little kids how you see them like. Oh, like, say, for example, if you and I, like, we're, like, four or five, and, like, you're playing with a toy, and I'm playing a toy, but I'm just, like, all of a sudden, I want that toy. I feel like that's what the Jets are like, where it's just, like, oh, hey, yeah, this is still fine. Like, Justin Fields still is going to be a great quarterback in this league, but Wilson's just that hot commodity right now that you want to get your hands on. That's it's that's what it is. Yeah, like, it makes sense that they're going to draft him because they're bringing in San Francisco's system. San Francisco's old quarterback yeah. coach is the new Jets offensive coordinator. He's going to do the Ford. same stuff. Yeah, he's going to do the same stuff that Kyle Shanahan did. And Zach Wilson fits that, like, he fits that mold. But you're not playing in the NFC South or NFC West, which is, like, a horrible <laughs> defensive conference. You're playing in the AFC East. You're playing in cold weather. You're, like, it's it's a whole different ball game. You need to take somebody who's, I don't want to say a more traditional quarterback, but somebody who can beat people with their mind, not just – like run out there and play West coast football. And that's what Wilson does. And I, I just, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know why they would make that pick. You know what it's going to be with Wilson. It's going to be that. I think it's going to be, he looks great against crappy opponents. Like say, for example, when they play, I'm just trying to think of who they play. That's bad. They play the Bengals. They play like even the Eagles, like stuff like that. They play even to Houston, like teams like that. He's going to look good against, but then there's going to be like, when they play Miami, when they play Buffalo, there's going to be those games where, you know what, he's going to look like crap. Like, it's just it's, it's bound to happen. When it's seven degrees in New England and there's, like, ice, the turf is just ice, and you're playing against Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower coming off the edge. And, that, like, 
that is not what he is fit to play against. That's not what he's fit to do. And I, I understand the, the process of wanting to take a scheme fit at quarterback, but you just, when you're the, when you have the number two pick, take the best player available and then make that your scheme. Don't just try to force somebody into the scheme that you already have. That's what they're going to do. It's, yeah. it's never worked before. And even too, I have, I have a buddy who's a Jets fan who's been on here multiple times. And I asked him, Hey, like then if Michael LaFleur looks like this offensive genius and then leaves to become a head coach somewhere, would you like miss that? And they're like, Oh, that'd be like a huge win for us. But deep down, I'm like, I don't know. Like, look at what the Minnesota Vikings are right now. They're, they're, a, they're a fucking carousel of offensive coordinators over the last like five, six years. Like every year they've had a new one since I think like 2016. Yeah. Because yeah, like it was Pat Shermer and then Kevin Stefanski and then Gary Kubiak was yeah. in there. And now it's Kubiak's kid. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But that's just that's the other thing too that comes with the price of hiring a defensive coach. No disrespect to what I say is a pocket-sized version of the rock because of looks and also to Robert Sala. Like, man, he he's gonna be out there in Jersey when December when it's like freezing, and he's gonna be running out in a tank top and shorts up down the stairs at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And we're all gonna go, yeah. everyone's gonna go, oh, that guy's an idiot. And we're like, that's a football guy. That's a guy who <laughs> breathe, like lives and breathes football. Like I get that term from Barstool, but I love it how it's just guys who go above and beyond because they love this game. Yeah, Dan Campbell-esque. One hundred percent. Even too like that's a pick like whoever the Detroit Lions are going to take I feel like they may put talent over a grit over talent I feel like it's a bad thing to say but look Dan Campbell's gonna look for those guys he's gonna be like on the phone it's like hey it's uh, Dan Campbell from the Detroit Lions ready to bite some kneecaps like that's what's gonna happen like this next weekend yeah Detroit's, uh, Detroit's gonna know. be a team that's gonna be like I feel like they're gonna be like even I know I'm mumbling my words a lot, but that's just what I do. But you're good. I haven't heard to Detroit's like rumors of them taking a quarterback because apparently Chris Spielman went to uh, Ohio state. So it's just like, Oh, he went to Ohio state fields, went to Ohio state marriage when I'm like, you're locked into Jared Goff. So I feel like they can afford to move back. And you know what? They want to get Keaton Slovis or uh, who's the guy out of uh, Iowa state next year. Iowa state. Yeah. Um, Sam, uh, no, that's Sam Howell. Uh, Brock something. That's UNC. Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. That's the guy out of Ohio's uh, Iowa State. Like, if you want to wait wait a year and then draft someone like that, that's that's all I got to say about the Detroit Lions because we obviously got into the Dan Campbell grit thing and your Tigers hat got me thinking it. That's all. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Keegan, I just wanted to ask you: Is there anything else you want to touch on or talk about today before uh, the storm and the chaos starts brewing tomorrow morning? Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned the jersey number rule earlier. Oh, right. I totally blanked on that. I am so sorry. Yeah. We just got caught up in the conversation. No, you're good. I, I don't have like a ton of thoughts on the jersey rule number. I think it's stupid that billionaires are gonna make the players pay for the, the backlog of jerseys that are already made. That's so ridiculous to me. Um you, but did you I see saw, the Dalvin Cook one? He said no, right? He was like, No, I'm not doing that. It was like one point five million dollars. Another guy was yeah. like a hundred and like seventy thousand dollars. Like, yeah, no, no thanks. I the, yeah. I saw the first person to make the switch was Patrick Peterson since he signed with the new team. Um, he could just pick, and he picked number seven. That was his number in college, which I love. Um, and I we I got into an argument with a guy in one of my classes. He's like all against it, and I don't understand why. Um, he was like, oh, it's going to be hard for people to understand who's playing what position. And I'm like, 
read the roster before the game, dude. It's it's not hard. Like the You're NFL. Not Tom is Brady. Not, yeah, like Tom Brady said the same thing, and it's like it's the NFL. You already know the person lining up across from you. You don't just know them by the number. You know who they are. So they they're just gonna have a new number this year. It's not. I don't know. I think it's a ridiculous argument. It's the same thing in college football. A lot of the guys in the NFL are only three, four years out of college football, so they'll be used to it. And and four or five years, no one's going to have a problem with it. Exactly. I feel like this year you're going to have those moments where guys, like, bitch about it because they get sacked, because they misread a linebacker, like a safety for a linebacker, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know I I DM'd you saying uh, we could do, like, a fun little game of – which Patriot numbers would you like to see? The first one I'm going to say off the hop is high Hightower, even though I have his jersey in my closet, Hightower switching from 54 to 30 because he brought it up on Twitter. I happened to mess, just get in the conversation and say, oh man, I, I uh, love for you to do that. But at the same time, to have your jersey. And he responds to me and then I get into a Twitter thing. Like, I'm in a Twitter convo with like him, myself, and Jeff, Jeff Howe from The Athletic. Like the three of us are just yeah. in there and I'm at work like, what the fuck is going on? I'm in a Twitter thread with Dante Hightower right now. So that's the first one I got to go with. Like I, I have his 54, but I would buy 30 again, just because like I've said this, I've said this to multiple people and I'm pretty sure you, but he is my favorite New England Patriot at the moment, ever since Brady walked yeah. out the door. Yeah. I'm. There are a, a ton of options. Like I, I don't know a ton of these guys college uniforms, obviously, but like, I think of like Devin McCourty, I think he wore 20 in college which is something that he already could wear but like seeing him in like a low number would be cool um chase winovich in 15 would be like really cool um i'm trying to I think, think Nikhil like harry a, wore like one or two at, at uh, asu yeah he wore number one which i think he would look great in one but he's not getting number one no um sony michelle looked great in one in college um gunner Oshevsky, can wear like number nine or whatever he wore in the preseason, which I think he looks great in. Harry wore nine in the preseason as well, but they he had to switch obviously to fifteen. Um, Wasn't Harry wearing know, one for a while too, like at the like in training camp in twenty nineteen? Yeah, I he, that I think twenty nineteen was the year that they started with uh, wearing the numbers in the fifties during training camp. I think he wore like a number in the fifties, but he he probably wanted one, but he just it wasn't an option. One that since we've talked about him already today, Dalton Keenan, number 29, is I think that's great because he's he's playing like a super back fullback role. Um, I think he'd look great in 29. That opens up number 44, which is that, that was my high school number. And they've 44 just deserves to be on a linebacker who plays special teams. I, I'm a hard believer in that. So get in a linebacker and like late in the draft, Riley Cole out of Houston, put him in 44. Let him run down on kickoffs. That's that's my dream. Another one, too, for me would be uh, Kyle Van Noy or Josh Uche going to six because obviously they're both are 53. So someone's going to have to switch jersey numbers. And more than likely, I think Van Noy actually came out and said he's going to stick to 53. But I think uh, you'd probably see Uche maybe move to six. As for the Gunnar Olszewski, I've seen one person on Twitter with an Olszewski jersey. So I don't know how much worry there is to that. Yeah. I, like a lot of these guys, they – don't sell their jerseys so they don't have to worry about it. Like the stars have to worry about it. Like Dalvin Cook, you said, that's the only jersey that Vikings fans are buying right now. So it's obviously there's a ton of ton of them made. But I completely forgot about Uche. He needs a new number. He got I think Uche or Van Noy already tweeted out that he got his old number back. So Uche in number six. Oh baby. And the big one, this is the one that I forgot about. Kyle Duggar in number two. 
Oh, get that, get that guy in number two. That's imagine that tank running down 50 miles an hour at you wearing number two. That's scary. And oh, also, I love that. Also, I want a fat guy. I want them to draft a fat guy and put him in a small number. Like Tyler Shelvin, the, the defensive tackle out of LSU, put him in number six, like eight. Just do it. Like, oh, I love that too. Just see a big boy wearing number eight, just coming down, this is just funny. barreling down the line at a quarterback. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's- Even, do I, did uh, I don't even know if like Henry Anderson or like Godshook got their numbers official for the Patriots, but like those guys, just hey, we're we're number we're number seven, we're number eight. Like you yeah. know, be get get creative with it. I I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew Judon picked a a small number like a number six or something like that. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, if you're signing with a new team, I'd be licking my chops right now. I'd be so excited to pick a a crazy number at one of these new positions. One of the ones I thought about was um, on another team was Watt, because obviously there was a bit controversy in Arizona because 99 was retired by the team, but like from years ago, but then the family gave him permission to wear it. And then I decided yeah. to Google, what did J.J. Watt wear at Wisconsin? 99. So I was like, well, that's not happening. But yeah. I was thinking of like new faces, new places. That that like picture he posts all the time in, of him in high school, I don't know if you've seen it. He's just super skinny and lanky. I believe he wore number nine. Yeah, he wore number nine. That'd be sick to see J.J. Watt wearing number nine. Just imagine that, like you, like uh, Matthew Stafford or Russell Wilson. Like, there's number nines just coming at you. You're like, what the fuck? You're like, oh, that's J.J. Watt. <laughs> yeah, just this behemoth. Yeah, oh, that's man, that's a team. I like. I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm like a quasi Cardinal fan. Like, I love I I like Kyler Murray style of play, but yeah. I love the people who come out and say, like, oh, he's on the hot seat this year. Like, if Arizona doesn't do well, they're going to have to draft another QB. I'm like, uh, no, they're not. It's uh, his coach that's got to worry about his job. And the GM, potentially. But I, th- I did this to someone. If you look at who Cliff King – not Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Kime is drafted in the first round from, like, 2013 on. Up until 2019, one of the worst first-round draft picks of, like, NFL history in the last 10 years. He's he's one of those GMs where I can tell you exactly what he's going to do every offseason because he does the same thing. He yeah. reaches on somebody in the first round. He gets bailed out because he picks some great players in like the back half of the draft or undrafted free agents. And then he signs the oldest possible person at a position of need. Like he did it at running back for like three straight years. He just signed Chris Johnson, who was like 32 at the time. He signs like old quarterbacks, old offensive linemen, old receivers. A.J. Green, he did it this year, like a 32-year-old A.J. Green. It's what he does every single year. I don't understand it. I don't I don't know how he still has a job, but that's one of those things. That it's an old boys club down there. They're just all buddies, and they're, they're just run, running a team together. That's, that, 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 that's Vegas, too, in a nutshell, but I can go on about that as well. But with Arizona, yeah. though, like, I feel like he's been with the organization, though, I didn't realize this, since, like, the late 90s. So he's been there a yeah. while. Like, he's really one oh, of those no, guys, like, like, he's kind of like Aaron. Sorry, I was just going to say the whole time that the owner has been there and been in charge, he's been there. Yeah, he's been there since the late 90s. He was like Eric Spolster where he like worked his way up throughout the organization that eventually, be, instead of becoming head coach, became GM. Um, yeah, he but, was like the film guy. Yeah, but with uh, with Arizona, they did add Malcolm Butler in the backfield. So maybe, hey, you know what? They get a game-winning uh, goal line interception at State Farm Stadium. Just to, yeah. I would love that just to like live rent, like Malcolm Butler forever living rent-free in the heads of Seahawks fans. Yeah. And then they added James Conner at the running back position, which – cool i only yeah. said the old boys club and they're like hey we're running a team because that's mark davis and john gruden's relationship in vegas like a hundred percent and Absolutely. i don't know why but there's a channel on youtube called nfl throwback they show a bunch of random like old games 
like videos. They did one in like the history of the Super Bowl, the history of like teams and like the stadiums, but they show old drafts. And I was watching the 2010 one for some reason today. I miss Mike Mayock on the NFL Network doing draft analysis. He was, analysis. Great. He was oh, yeah. phenomenal. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen it too, but his um, bubble butt thing for offensive linemen. Yeah. I yeah. showed it to my girlfriend. She's like, I said, yeah, he's got like, he'll point out the bubble butt and like my, to my girl, and my sister. And they both were like, there's no way like, oh, he said, I actually said that on air. And I showed the combine. It was uh, Greg Robinson from Auburn where it was yeah. just like, and they heard him just say, oh, that bubble butt. And they just lost it. And I'm just like, yeah. oh man, that's, uh. he was great. Like he was, yeah. he was my favorite guy. I used to watch the NFL network draft because you know you get the option between that that and espn i used yeah. to watch it just for him and then i switched over to espn because i like trey wingo and then they took trey wingo off and they've got freaking uh mike greenberg doing it so i'm gonna watch nfl network this year can't stand mike greenberg oh th- thank you sam that's where i get all like the stuff like the person who's saying the whole oh but bill belichick's never drafted a first round pick i literally want to be like greenberg shut up like literally like i know you're a you're a jared jets fan but still stuff's gonna happen for me um obviously i'm in canada so we have tsn i do get nfl network but i may go the abc route just because i like the college guys but the only thing with i watched abc's last year and it's super depressing because they'll be like this guy drafted but they'll like really tug your heartstrings and like and profile the guys who are like humble backgrounds like you love to see it but at the same time they'll do like the most uplifting but super depressing stories like with these last players. year it was it was unbelievable last year because they they had nothing to do because it was all yeah you know all online or whatever but it was ridiculous they had like features on every single player about how their stepdad passed away or their mom died or like all this stuff. it's like geez dude i don't want to hear about this right yeah. now this is supposed to be the the happiest day of this guy's life and you're bringing up the worst memories he has yeah, like my like for example, I remember seeing there was one player where they were like, yeah, he was uh, who was it? It was uh, Ger- uh, Ken Law from South Carolina when he went to San Francisco, yep. and they were like, yeah, and he was homeless from like when he was like seven till he was thirteen and stuff, and he was like living in cars or in, like in like random rooms when he can. And I'm just like, you're right, like they're tugging on the viewers' heartstrings, but at the same time, too, let's celebrate these guys for what they've accomplished yeah. on the field and respect where they've come from. Yeah, Gitar Grossmatos, I think is how you say his name, the the edge yeah. out of Penn State. His his brother and his stepdad both got struck by lightning and died, and that's all they talked about the entire time after he got drafted for like eleven minutes. And it's like, all right, guys, this guy's—it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to him, and you're bringing up the two worst possible things you can do. Like, that's horrible. Yeah. Just because there they were... want to get like clips on on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, but ESPN released a video of Devonta Smith with his barber in like Tampa, and he's cutting his hair since he was like three years old, and. He went to someone, went to one other barber when he was younger, and he was like, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. So he's been going to the same barber since he was, like, three. Like, I've gone to many different people to cut my hair all throughout my life. Like, I can't imagine being with the same barber, like, for the rest of my life. Yeah. Hey, whatever floats your boat, man. I I know a ton of guys up here, like, a ton of my friends, they've seen the same barber their entire life. I moved to Texas, so I had no choice. But (laughs) now that I'm back, I'm back at the same barber I got when I – or I had when I was a kid. Oh, true. I, I, I've kind of switched around and stuff and always got like my like feet with that stuff. I just found it super interesting. But for me, yeah, I'm not watching ESPN just because like you said, I'm th- this is a low key non Mike Greenberg podcast. But if I'm probably going to go either ABC, but I'm leaning towards the NFL network for their coverage with because like Rich Eisen's good. I believe Michael Irvin's there. 
uh, David Shaw for some reason, but I think they've gotten him in years past. Yeah, I, I just I love I love uh, Rich Eisen. I think he's great. So yeah, he's good. They've they've got a ton of former players like Willie McGinnis will be doing something. Deion Sanders maybe like who knows? Exactly. Like and um, they have Dan, Dan, like I said too. I like that's the other thing too with ESPN. I feel like when um, Mel Kiper releases a mock draft, they treat it like it's like the holy gospel. And then like when Jeremiah does it or Bucky Brooks who, by the way, like I said before, those two, I think, have the best insight, like some of the best insights with these guys. With yeah. them, it's just like, yeah, they released another mock draft, but I feel like with ESPN, it's just like, Mel included trade-ups for the first time ever. It's just like, oh my God, you can do that? It's just like, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, like, I've released, I've done two mock drafts so far. I'm doing a third only because of the Orlando Brown trade and I'm changing a couple things up. But besides that, I'm just like, how many mocks can you really do? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, they're already on, like, 4.0 and stuff, and I'm just like, Jesus, like, I'm fine with three, like, I do one that's just completely, like, outlandish, then my second's, like, okay, realistic, and then the third one, there's just, like, a little bit of tinkering. Yeah, but we're on, we're gonna be on number 10 this week, so if anybody knows about way too many mock drafts, it's me, we've done way too many, but um, one last plug before we go, just because yeah. we're trying to drive up the viewers a little bit on, uh, on the last... Yep, just like that. But we are uh, trying to drive up the viewers a little bit on the last one. Wednesday night at 6 o'clock Eastern time, we're doing a live mock draft show, Patriots-specific, all seven rounds. So um, a good opportunity to see who the Patriots might be interested in taking. Stuff that me and Griff talked about a little bit earlier, just on um, where they could be picking, trade-ups, trade-downs, all that stuff. And then Thursday, a live uh, draft show. So if you're bored watching the draft by yourself, if you've got no one to watch it with, you know, we're in the COVID times, you can uh, throw us on the, the laptop while you've second screen, you know, um, hang out with us a little bit, hang out in the chat. We're going to be answering questions all day. We've got guests uh, representing a ton of different teams that cover different teams and stuff like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a, a good thing just to have on in the background if, if you're feeling a little bit bored on draft night if you need a little bit of extra insight you don't want to listen to the guys who do the national stuff so uh, especially when the patriots pick comes up at 15 so that should be fun patspulpit.com love to hear it man I, I i you know what i think you've gotten me convinced i think when the, when the patriots pick i gotta come by because i'm still waiting to see what i'm gonna be doing like draft night for my podcast myself but you know what Pat's pulpit is someone who's really helped me give me an outlet just with you guys coming on and talking to me. So, you know what, I got to return the favor. And, yep. um, as for me, I got, uh, me and some of my friends are coming on here tomorrow night and we're doing a fantasy football style mock for the first round, all 32 picks. So basically nice. I drew names and it's like, Hey, this person's got like picks this, 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 and this, and we're just going to draft and have a good time. So, I'm recording with Keegan right now on Sunday, April 25th. That'll be up tomorrow night on April uh, 26th. I'm getting my dates mixed up. But you know what? The way I look at this, the closer we get to the draft, it's just the closer we are to football season. We're almost four months there. Like, it's the longest offseason, but that's a love-hate relationship I have with the league is that we wait forever for the season to get here. And then when it gets here, just, like, flies like that. Yep. Yeah, it's – gonna be a ton of fun busy week ahead of us but uh thursday friday saturday and then we get to take a break for a little while we get to take a break but then everybody else like goes to work when it comes to signing these guys and then the right. camps and all that fun stuff i could talk exactly. about the whole situation with otas right now but i don't really want to just because i i think I'm, i can make my stance clear i like look i think if i told my job yeah i don't feel like coming to work because i don't think it's safe they can just be like, all right cool find someone else to do your job exactly <laughs> yeah 
But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for episode 83. Keegan, once again, thank you very much for coming back on. It was a blast. We'll have to do this again sometime soon, maybe after the draft. And thank you for everybody for listening. And I'll see you guys uh, live mocks, not live, but the mock draft special that's coming out tomorrow night. Have a good night, everybody. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.